This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. Hi, I'm Karis Hustad. And I am Laura Galante. Welcome to the second season of Future Forward Aarhus, where you explore the future with us. Every other week, we bring you the stories of people in Aarhus and central Jutland and their views on technology, innovation, and new ideas. Last season, we explored the future of fashion, urban spaces, food, and migration. This season, we're looking into the future of work, education, language, and more. And today, we're exploring a topic that is near and dear to the hearts of all of us at Future Forward Aarhus, the future of relationships. Chances are you've heard one of these noises today. Perhaps you got a call from your mom checking in on your day, a Facebook message from your best friend, or an email from your work colleague. Or maybe even a notification from a health app that you should get up from your desk and walk around a little bit. These little noises are a lot more than just a message. They're how a lot of us maintain our relationships today. WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger both had 1.3 billion monthly active users as of January 2018. And as more and more people go online, these apps allow us to not only chat with our closest friends and family, but maintain real-time relationships with people on the other side of the globe. That level of connection is unprecedented. Despite this, some worry that social media could actually make us feel more lonely. A study of 1,700 American adults found that people who spent the most time on social media felt more socially isolated than those who didn't check social media as often. So are relationships the same, just with shiny new ways of talking? Does our constant connection to a screen rather than real life make us more alone than ever? Or is technology and innovation making everything just different enough that it could change the way we look at relationships forever? That's what we'll explore today. First, we'll hear stories from three people about how technology has impacted their romantic life, for better and for worse. Then we'll hear from a Lithuanian woman behind the Facebook group Lonely Internationals in Aarhus about vulnerability online, making friends in the digital age. Finally, we'll talk with a journalist who turned her smartphone into a tool for self-improvement, not self-doubt. In 2017, 19% of brides said they met their spouses through online dating, according to a wedding website, The Knot. 25% of couples admit to texting their significant other when they were at home together, according to Pew Research. And even if you break up, the digital pressure does not go away. An estimated one-third of Facebook users keep tabs on their exes on social media. But has technology necessarily changed the nature of love? To explore this question, I asked three students in Aarhus to share a story about when love and technology intersected. Their stories show that while technology has certainly changed the medium of romance, the confusion, connection, and companionship of love seems to be the same as ever. First, we'll hear from Joanne, a student from China who found a surprising new use for Tinder while vacationing on a Portuguese island. One of the most uh, interesting experiences, I would say, is when I was in uh, Madeira Island, which is under Portuguese sovereignty, and it's in the island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean near North Africa. So I was traveling there by myself. I checking myself in this like uh, little 
guest house on the west side of the island. The thing about the island is like it's very developed, so you have internet coverage every day, and you also have public transportation. Uh, so I wanted to go hiking first, and take a bus to go to a natural swimming pool, and then come back to my village. What happened is,、uh, I thought I've got lost, and I was trapped in this like village in the middle of nowhere, and I lost one bus a day that actually would take me to my village. I'm like, uh oh, so what can I do now? And I was figuring out my solutions. So I come up with some solutions, which is I could try hitchhike, but there are not many、uh, cars going to that direction at the、uh, in, during the noon time of that day. And I could try to call my guest house a、uh, host, but I knew that she was busy. So I was like,、mm, why not try Tinder? Because when you think about it, it's a very logical.、Uh, Idea. It's a geographically based app, and then people who、uh, swipe right and you get a match with, they want to meet you. So I just like sitting there, you know,、uh, after my lunch, charging my phone, drinking my espresso, eating my dessert, and I started swiping. And I put one sentence on my profile. Usually, I don't put anything. I just said, "I got trapped in Pozalelish, this village, and I need to go to Pontmanish. Can somebody give me a ride?" So I started swiping. And I kept my standard. Okay, I got. I started to get some matches and started talking with people. And some of them were like, "Oh, my car is under maintenance. I'm so sorry. Otherwise, I'll totally give you a ride." Blah blah blah. And then there was actually one guy who said, "Oh, I can come and give you a ride, but I will be there at four o'clock." And I was like, "Whoa, perfect! Thank you so much." And yeah, and he ended up showing、uh, showing up, and he was just as cute as、uh, on his profile picture, which is like, "Oh, Jack Paul."、Um, but the funny story is, like, when I said hi to him, he was like. Hola, I'm like,、uh. and he didn't speak a word of English. And I was like, we were exchanging messages in English, and he told me Google Translator. I'm like, ah.、Uh. <laughs> But it ended up being a great experience, yeah. And he actually took me out.、Uh, we were like drinking pancha, this like typical liquor from the island, freshly made with、um, malacuja, which is a passion fruit, I think. And then you know, at the west of the island, where there's lighthouse, looking at stars, you know, at the Atlantic Ocean, and with the moon and lighthouse and everything. Yeah, and I managed because back then I studied Portuguese for like two months. I managed to use my very broken Portuguese, and we had a nice conversation. At the end of the day, I think it's only it's to do with、uh, what you use、uh, with it, and I think as long as everybody's on the same page. And nobody gets hurt, and you know, and you ended up having a good experience. That's what matters. And what fundamentally changed in my perception in regards of relationship when using Tinder is also has something to do. For example,、uh, you know, instead of a movie, which you know we hear about those people, they get together, they spend you know their whole lifetime together, happily、uh, ever after. And now, what I do instead of making that long feature movie, it's more like collecting. A photo album. So each of these days will be like a wonderful memory in my little photo album, and I'm not rejecting the possibility of one day a guy showed up. It's like, okay, I want to be, you know, in the rest of a photo album. Next, Ida, a student from Denmark, shares how video calling technology helped her maintain a long distance relationship between Denmark and Australia for eight years. The first time that you and your now fiance 
actually Skyped was on national Danish radio. What was what was that like? Yeah, so we were doing a radio show about a long distance relationship and the journalist was like, I want to interview both of you at the same time. And the best way to do that um, was to Skype. I remember when it was calling and I was like, pick up, pick up. Like it felt like so long, even though I think it rang three times or something like that. I think I was still like, I was nervous about how it was going to work and whether it would be so different that it would take away this magic that we had created um, over these months. It's just a completely different connection because you can see expressions and there's less misunderstandings as well. I don't think I've ever felt so overwhelmed as at that moment because there was just so many emotions while being interviewed as well and um, trying to sound smart and (laughs) focused. Like, how has that video technology played a part um, since then? Like, how has that, uh, especially as it's gotten better (laughs) and I think more ubiquitous kind of in our lives, how has that um, been a part of your relationship? Well, we used to, like, Skype once a week or something like that because the time difference and work and stuff, so it's hard to organize. But now, like, I have Skype on my phone. So if he wants to call and say goodnight or whatever, he can... We can talk for five minutes or ten minutes. Um, we can even call through Facebook. Um, and that have definitely had a huge impact. Like my fiancé was hospitalized in the middle of the year. And the fact that he could, he was supposed to go to Denmark a few days later. So he, I was there with him um, in the hospital. Like he could video chat me. If that had been even back when we started, then I would probably have not even heard from him. I would maybe I've got a text message that he was uh, in hospital, but like calling over the phone was ridiculously expensive, so that was not an option. And and also just like using Snapchat and getting just a little picture throughout the day of something funny or something that reminded him of me or us or something that that just makes it feel so much closer it wouldn't have worked out if we didn't have skype and if we didn't have messenger and we didn't have smartphones where we could keep in touch all day a letter to australia takes three weeks so a month and a half before you get a reply on that letter you said like that would not have worked Finally, Sean, a student from the UK, shares her stories about how she's given and received heartbreak on Google Docs, a seemingly harmless collaboration product. He was a musician and a songwriter and I was a young writer. And so we had this shared Google Docs where we would put in poems and lyric ideas and We used to do this dumb thing where we would send each other words every other day and then try to incorporate them into our writing. Mm. And it's, like, one of the ways we really bonded. 
And then after we broke up, we went back to the Google Docs and then kind of our breakup unfolded. At the very end, when we stopped using the Google Doc, I think it must have been something like 40 pages long. And why did you stop? It was, I think it must have been six months after the breakup, nine months, something like that. And I had just started seeing someone. Um, I was studying abroad in Mexico and I'd seen someone. It was starting to feel like, wow, okay, this might be a thing. This isn't just a fling. So I told him about it via the Google Docs. (laughs) I wrote, you know... I didn't know how to tell you this. I'm putting it here because I know you still check. I've started seeing someone and I'm sorry. And I don't know how serious it is because I'm in Mexico, but it felt too real to tell you any other way. And he saw it and he was just like, what the hell? (laughs) And that was the last thing we put in there. Um, It just became a dead document in my drive. Is it still there? I think so. And then I also, um, there's a second slightly related story, also via Google Docs. The most dramatic things in my life have happened via Google Docs, so I'm kind of terrified of the of the platform at this point. I had a living partner, um, and he kind of just like bundled into my life and was like, I need to know you. And I was like, that's insane. You have a girlfriend. And I said, no not in that way not until you're single and he came over 12 hours later and said I'm single now and it was it was so to set the pace for that that relationship it was so dramatic and chaotic and fast everything about our relationship was like that and one morning I woke up and it was 6 30 and on my work email I had an invitation to view a document from his ex-girlfriend one he broke up with to be with me and um so I turned to him in bed and I said why is your ex sent me a google docs <laughs> and he just his face went pale the first line read dear Sean I need to let you know that John has been cheating on you with me for four months now basically she kept a diary of the days he came over the time what he was wearing (laughs) what they did when they had sex and that was a long document I think it was four pages and I read the entirety of it and I told him get out my house pack a backpack I'm putting your stuff in bin bags you can pick it up another day you know google docs had gone back to being this place where I made group presentations and to-do lists and wrote essays and then so all of a sudden to have this google doc I mean, it was really hard. After that, just to go onto Google Docs, it was there. And it was not something I could delete because I had to remind myself, like, why I'd broken up with him. I've delivered heartbreak via Google Drive and I've received it. And so I think it was really kind of just my Google Drive karma coming back and biting me in the ass. While love seems to dominate the technology and relationships debate, friendships are also impacted by tech. If you move to a new city or country, it's comforting to know that friends back home are just a text, video call, or Snapchat away. But sometimes that easy connection back home makes it harder to hang out with new people in a new city, too. Sometimes you just have to be brave and ask, is anyone here lonely, too? 
Our reporter, Rocio Valderabano, talked to someone who did just that by creating a Facebook group for lonely internationals in Aarhus. Take a listen. Packing your things, leaving your home, and moving to a new country can be one of the most exciting experiences, but at the same time, terrifying. That's exactly what Gabriela Deshinskrita from Lithuania experienced in August 2017 when she moved to Aarhus, Denmark. I felt a little bit seriously. I felt lonely. Uh, despite the fact that I came with my boyfriend, I'm a person who really needs to socialize, who needs to communicate, and I didn't have any friends. I wanted to get into routine of this city, I wanted to, get to, to know more about it. This sensation of loneliness encouraged her to share her feelings on a Facebook group created for new people arriving in the city. At the same time, she asked for recommendations to visit places and meet new people. Unexpectedly, her comment got more than 150 responses and many friends' requests. I didn't have an intention to, to get attention uh, from this, but uh, so many people tried to, to communicate with me that, uh, that they were telling that they are feeling the same. And then I just made a group and I just randomly texted all internationals in Aarhus. So that's how it was born. <laughs> On the first day, 200 people joined the group. Meanwhile, Gabriela organized their first meeting, a Friday night with beers, event that became a tradition. As the community grew, people took the initiative to create their own activities, Sunday coffee meetings, museum tours, and many others according to their interests. It's actually the most beautiful thing for me that I see that I don't need to, I don't need to be responsible for this group anymore because there are so many uh, people who became friends and uh, they're not feeling that lonely anymore and they're even not coming to these events because they just found their circle of friends, of their people. But hanging out in the city is not the only purpose of lonely internationals in Aarhus. As any other forum, the group also discusses topics that concerns them. I had a problem with anxiety when I was a little bit younger and I just remember I posted a big text to a group about that I'm, I would like to meet some people who ever suffered from depression, from anxiety or from things like this. And we actually met. We didn't work as psycholo psychologists or therapists. We were just listening to each other. We were just talking. We were sharing our experience. And when I saw how many people just were, they were relieved after this. Today, this virtual community has more than 1,750 members. Everyone can join, but it's necessary to answer a brief questionnaire. The administrators are keen to keep the sense of community in the group. The first thing is that we avoiding spam, and also we want to avoid like like advert ad advertisements. We want to avoid some I don't know ads that really not not to a group or these selling buying things. One of the group's successes may rely on the fact that Facebook is the most popular social media in Denmark. In addition, the Sorby Expat Insider underlines that over two-fifths of foreigners in Nordic countries find local people distant. Only in Denmark, 46% of the expats considers that their social circle includes mostly fellow foreigners. Six months after this group was born, Gabriele recognizes that without social media it would have been harder to meet people in Aarhus. Right now, all my friends are from the group. I don't have anyone from, like, outside the group. Of course, there are some institutions who help a lot 
with your documentations, your resident permits, your numbers, and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's really not enough. And yeah, maybe there's international community, but I don't think that you can just meet so many people that can become your friends just so randomly. Like her, many other members believe the word loneliness has a good connotation now. The group is only an example of how a virtual community can transcend to real life. I'm just really happy that this achievement, friendship achievement, is doing the biggest influence for the group. That was Rocio Valderrabano reporting on Lonely Internationals in Aarhus. Chio, there is already an Aarhus Internationals Facebook group. What do you think about Gabriela's decision to make a group specifically for Lonely Internationals? Well, I think it's very brave to go online and say that you feel lonely, especially because what we mostly see on social media are kind of happy news, like, oh, I got a new pet, or oh, I am traveling with my family, and then suddenly accept or admit that you are facing something that makes you stressed or sad. I think it was a very brave decision. You note in your story that Nordic countries are often seen as unwelcoming to foreigners. Uh, do you think a group like this would be necessary in a more extroverted society? It depends, I think, on the personality of the people who want uh, to join a group like this. I mean, it, it's not the country itself. Uh, and I am sure that Uh, online is not the only way to meet people in a new country. Uh, also, uh, it could be, uh, well, face-to-face -face, uh, people. To be honest, I, at least here in Denmark, and if I can share my experiences, I have found also online so many groups that organize coffee meetings in mornings where, for example, Danes are involved. And you can go and have a like and do some networking with them also if you are interested or you can just uh, join other kind of events. So, yeah, I think there are, it depends also in, in, in each opportunity. But if also you as a student go abroad, you start establishing some communication with a, what we call contact person, persons that you don't meet like in only online before you arrive to that country. So it could be also that on an extrovert place. So this is certainly a good example of how people can use social media to meet people. But do you think that social media really helps friendships in the long run? Well, if you have friends all around the world, uh, and especially now, it's easier to keep uh, to keep an update with what your friends are doing or having some news. Maybe it's not only social media, also it's like an email or maybe uh, sending some pictures. Uh, we are now... We have, or sharing stories in Instagram, for example, it's not only Facebook, I think, but it's a good way to just uh, keep in touch with friends or also family. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chio. You're listening to Future Forward Aarhus, and we're talking about the future of relationships. So far in this episode, we've talked about love and friendship, but there's another relationship that is arguably the most important, the relationship we have with ourselves. Usually we hear about all the ways that technology is warping our brains. Research has shown that our attention span is growing shorter, social media apps can destroy our self-esteem, and we're spending less time with our eyeballs off the screen. But at the same time, it isn't likely that smartphones or the internet will go away. So what if we asked a different question? Can technology actually be used to improve our mental habits? Bianca, a journalist in Aarhus who is originally from Italy, decided to test this question out. She's currently writing a story about two apps that she hoped would help her get out of a rut. And she stopped by Studenta Radio to tell us more. Let's take a listen. 
Thank you so much for being on Future Forward Olhus Bianca. Glad to be here. So this winter, you hit a bit of a rough patch. What were you feeling and what did you decide to do to deal with these difficulties? Yeah, it is true indeed. A couple of things happened in my life that were upsetting. I realized that I had no control over many things in my life and I felt overwhelmed and just not okay. And so I talked to a, a friend of a friend who I knew had a lot of ideas about self-improvement and who is um, starting a project himself. And he suggested that I try two apps. One is called Happyfy. Their claim is that they can give you tasks and activities to make you happier. And the other one is called The Fabulous. And they try to instill in you good habits so that you will feel more productive and fulfilled and ultimately happier. And so had you ever thought about turning to your smartphone for self-help before? Look, I had heard about, you know, meditation apps or uh, mindfulness apps or routine trackers, all that kind of stuff. But no, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, Honestly, I went into it with a little bit of skepticism and I thought it was certainly an interesting take on it. uh, And I was ready to try literally anything. (laughs) So that's my mindset from the get-go. I was open to it. But yeah, I had a little bit of skepticism as well. Tell us a little bit more about how each of these apps work. All right. So probably the easiest one to explain is, again, uh, is the fabulous. They uh, give you challenges, let's say. They have a morning routine, an afternoon routine, and an evening routine. So the way it starts is the first challenge is uh, you have to drink a glass of water first thing in the morning when you wake up. And the whole point is that uh, you're going to feel more energized and um, start your day in a better way. Afterwards, you know, you build your uh, habits, basically. You give you another challenge and then continue the previous ones. And that's how it goes, basically. The other one is a little bit more diversified in a sense. They ask you to assess your happiness level at the beginning. And then they do bi-weekly check-ins to see if it got better or worse. And it is a self-reporting-based assessment. Afterwards, they suggest um, tracks for you. One is about uh, anxiety. The other one is about stress. You know, you have different journeys or something. And they have activities associated to each one. So the first activity, no matter what you pick, is um, another questionnaire, self-reporting, trying to a personality questionnaire that determines your your strengths. The activities are sometimes what I uh, thought a little bit silly because (laughs) they have like games where you have to destroy negative thoughts or like pick out uh, positive thoughts from floating hair balloons, (laughs) and other activities which I thought were a little bit more interesting and engaging, such as maybe identifying a problem that gives you anxiety. And they tell you, for example, write down how you would use one of your strengths to tackle it. And so that level of removement from from the issue and, and the fact that they force you to kind of confront your anxiety that way, I thought that was fairly effective. Right. So it sounds like um, in the few weeks you've been using these, you've seen some things that seem to work and some things mm-hmm. that don't. So what has your experience been like so far? Do you feel like you're making some meaningful change using these apps? In a sense, yes. Uh, with the Fabulous, I, I, I'm probably going to continue using it because one of the downsides that I've, that I've seen with it is that sometimes the um, habits that they're trying to build are not necessarily compatible with my life so for example 
um, they ask you to exercise after you drink the glass of water. They ask you to exercise a little bit in the morning, except uh, we live in ours. I have to bike like 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, that's uh, the exercise. Yes, I have already to do that just to get to school. So like I'm not going to exercise before I exercise like it's not happening, you know. Happify, however, um, it succeeded in doing one thing. It, su- it succeeded in uh, helping me put some distance between me and my feelings a little bit. And uh, it helped me like self-analyze also that part of myself. I am an overthinker. Like it's not, <laughs> it's already happening. But like um, when it came to specific, uh, especially negative feelings, I think that it did help me to think about it in terms of, okay, it's not just something that you have to necessarily be overwhelmed with. You can also like take a step back and and describe it to yourself or, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I've like done therapy before, you know, when I've been in these kind of um, more difficult points and I feel like that's a little harder to do here in a new country, you know, when you move to a new place and you're not here for that long. But what is sort of nice about something like therapy versus an app is that a therapist can get to know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. In an app, it's a lot more on the user to know, okay, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. I've spoken with the developers of The Fabulous. I've also spoken with, well, my friend and um, a positive psychology uh, professor. And uh, what I thought was interesting is that uh, he told me, you know, like, I mean, it's not like I suggest that you should replace technology with actual therapy or real life experiences but if it works you know like i'm i'm glad you know <laughs> and i thought that was that was quite cool that it was like okay um, you know whatever works right exactly making it more about kind of the yeah the actual user themselves mm-hmm. so i want to uh, bring it back for a second to the fact that this is happening on your phone because for me my phone can often actually make me feel more anxious and more stressed. Um, You know, you scroll through social media, Instagram, all of that stuff. And whether it's unfairly comparing yourself or sort of using it as a distraction when you don't want to think about something that's harder, to me, it just feels like the smartphone. It's more a venue for unhealthy mental habits than Mm -hmm. helpful mental habits. So what was it like having those wellness apps right next to perhaps more distracting apps? Uh, so that was the question I asked both the developer from the the fabulous and the psychology professor. So the argument of uh, the person behind the fabulous was that actually the app tries to uh, get you off of the phone ultimately. So they give you a reminder and all that kind of stuff, but the activities that you have to do are in IRL. Let's put it like that in real life. When it comes to the professor, he did express concern about the fact that you know phones are both a force of good and a force of bad part of the various like the series of unfortunate events that happened uh, lately was the fact that I uh, my phone got stolen and I have lived off of uh, friends phones for a while and I had no phone also for a couple of weeks I was more productive in a sense but I also was kind of miserable <laughs> like, I am I am a smartphone addict it's a thing you know I follow my news on there I love being in contact with other people, I love having my maps. At the same time, like I do think that uh, it is something that certainly people in our generations will have to come to terms with. Well, we will have to stay in touch with you as you continue on your journey. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story, Bianca. Thank you for having me.
Today's show was produced and hosted by me, Karis Husted, And me, Laura Galante. Rocio Valderabano is our technical editor and contributed reporting. We'll talk to you in the future. That's it for today's show. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Future Forward Aarhus. This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. radio.